Okay, guys, this is a Pushing Rubber podcast, episode 149, I think. Let me just check that. Yes, it is one away from the big 150. Dear Lord, so much bandwidth wasted listening to myself speak. Uh, this is Adam Pickett coming to you from the Netherlands, and I have with me uh, a guest tonight. Um, it's, uh, oh, holy shit. Scott, I don't know your last name. Do I have it here? Uh, introduce yourself for us all, mate. It's Kalajic. It's Kalajic. It's a Serbian name, but I'm a, I'm a red-blooded American. So um, Okay. Well, we can me. argue about that based on some of the articles I've had up this week. <laughs> oh, I saw that one. I saw the one about the Australian Greek guy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I did have some thoughts, but I'll, 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 I'll wait. <laughs> to say that to say that set off a, a a bit of a minefield explosion in the in the Australia is to put it mildly, um, but oh. that's that's a different topic. Um, <laughs> Scott, uh, just introduce introduce yourself to the listeners uh, briefly. Uh, let them know um, you know the, the Manosphere background, blogs that you've run, uh, and what you're currently doing. Okay. So I am a retired army major and clinical psychologist living in uh, around Helena, Montana. I retired a couple of years ago. Um, I uh, I first interacted with uh, what we call the Manosphere in 2011 when I was uh, deployed to Afghanistan on my first deployment. Um, I had at the time I had my my 10 year old or I guess he was about 11 or 12 at the time uh, stepson. Um, at home, and I was I was regularly engaged with him about um, why men and boys uh, and masculinity in general were, were portrayed on television and in pop culture as just absolute worthless weirdos and a-holes and could not figure out how to work a broom. Um, and so I typed that into a search engine. I was sitting there in my little, my little we call it a chew, my, my little hut in the in Afghanistan into my computer and up, up popped uh, Galrock was one of the first sites and that was uh, that was the beginning of my sort of eyes being opened as to you know how, how do we got here um, as a psychologist I, I tried to engage the topic with some of my colleagues and say hey you know maybe we could study this and that is a topic that is absolutely off limits in the academic world um, so I found myself on my own for a, almost a decade um, I've run into one or two other psychologists who are red-pilled. Um, Sean Smith is one of them. I don't know if you know him or not. He's, uh, he's out there, and uh, there's a couple others. that. Are, but we're, we're so fractured and so disconnected that uh, we are uh, on our own, out, out on a limb trying to, to talk about these topics uh, because everything from the APA is toxic masculinity and blah, blah, blah. So it's really not a, you know, it's a, it's a, a no-go topic. So, you know, I've set my, my web page up as, you know, mostly what I do is forensic stuff, which is uh, in the courtroom, right? So I see a lot of uh, people who are accused of a crime and I, I chime in on whether or not they can go to trial, but I also have a little tiny coaching business on the side where if anybody wants to, any guy wants to, you know, work through their relationship issues or whatever, they certainly can call me. My phone number is right there on the website. It's actually my cell that I carry around with me. So I'm not, I'm not hiding. I can't be doxxed, you know. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's, so that's, uh, that's pretty refreshing in the, in the, the modern day world. Uh, I'm also one of the few who's got their real name out there. Uh, and, um, 
there was quite a big going back to you know the the whole explosion on xyz magazine this week with uh, what i wrote about foreigners going home and that related back to the conference that was held a couple of weeks ago um xyz's now put out a policy based on that that there's no more anonymous writers or um podcasters or anyone on youtube who'll be invited in the site so and i think i think going forward more and more that's going to be the case that uh you, you know you're going to have to put your name out there um so i just want to touch on something very first off is what you just said then is that um the topic of red pill masculinity is off limits in the academic field of psychology. And I understand the AMA and what they came out with last year about toxic masculinity. Um, so you approached fellow psychologists, you know, in tents in Afghanistan in a military operation, which you don't, supposedly you don't get much more masculine than that. And they weren't willing to, they weren't even willing to discuss the topic with you. Well, I, I don't know if I really talked about it to any. I, I didn't have any colleagues in Afghanistan. I was I was a psychologist all by myself out in the middle of the desert. I had some other uh, medical colleagues, physicians assistants and stuff like that that I worked with. But I'm talking about just in general. You know, I would email somebody and say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Or you know, "Have you ever noticed this?" Or whatever. And and uh, the only ones, the the male psychologist friends of mine who are on active duty would assent to, "Yes, this exists." But I'm certainly not going to write a peer-reviewed journal article about it or study it or anything like that and put my name on it. So it's uh, it's just not a it's it's a non-starter, you know. And I mean, why why is it a non-starter? Um, you know, we we live in and you know eventually we're going to end up talking about Rollo Tomasi and some of these other guys, but Rollo is is absolutely right about a lot of things. And one of the things he's right about is this sort of femme-centric. Uh, social order that we live in. I mean, women are a, are a protected class. Um, and so t t you, you always have to look out for who are you not allowed to criticize, right? And, and if there's any group that you're not allowed to criticize, that is your master, right? So you really aren't in a position in this day and age to, to, to really hold accountable huge swaths of uh, civilization, <laughs> Um, pretty much unless you're a white male, you know, we, we get to hold each other accountable for stuff. But all you need to know is if you're if you're a white, Christian, heterosexual, married guy, that you are at the very bottom of that hierarchy, which is kind of a refreshing place to be. I mean, it's like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't worry about, you know, the, the culture wars too much because I know that I'm at the bottom. I, I'm a bottom feeder, you know, so I can just take shots from the bottom and and uh, and then, you know, and then know my place but uh that's, that's how it seems to work and and so women got the vote uh, about a hundred years ago and it took a hundred years to put the guys who are on the top literally at the bottom is what you've said mm -hmm. um yeah. so so that with with, with uh, hindsight and retrospect looking back that was probably a mistake <laughs> wasn't it <laughs> Based on what you just said now. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, from, you know, here in the United States, we have this this love affair with our Constitution and this concept of, of enumerated rights and all this other stuff. And I, I've, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that that it really matters at this point. I, I think that the the solution would be to have a sort of Robert Heinlein style republic 
right, where the only people who are allowed to participate in the process are people who own property, people who are veterans or who are currently serving in the military, people who own businesses and who pay more into the system than they take out. You know, if yeah. you, you could basically get around the whole issue of men and women because those people tend to be men anyway. <laughs> so basically all those, all those folks, if you, if you had that list, list test and said that everybody else gets to have their freedom. I mean, everybody can go to the mall, have a job, do whatever. But this tiny little group of elite folks who have actually demonstrated that they have stake in the game and the guy. put their, you know, yeah, put, put their thing out there and said, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice for this country. They should be participating instead of, you know, universal 18-year-old suffrage. You know, everybody who's 18 in a heartbeat can vote. And it's ridiculous. It's absolutely silly, you know, yeah. but that's that's a, a, a sort of a political journey that I've been on over it. And, you know, I was I was in the Army. I, I swore an oath to the Constitution and, and all that crap, but, I you know, I'm not really sure I, I believe that stuff anymore. So, And since I'm retired, I get to say that. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, since we're the same age, like literally a month apart in uh, in our ages, I find it quite weird that you're talking about you've retired. <laughs> I just can't even relate to that at all. <laughs> yeah, so that that is a function of the system that we have. If you do 20 years in the in the federal system, you can retire and and receive 50% of what you were making at the date that you retired for the rest of your life and free healthcare. So I I am not really retired. I'm retired from the army. But I, I make way more money as a civilian, <laughs> as a doctor, you know, but I just I just have this little pension that I that I get to collect. And it's nice, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. As a as a globetrotting whitewater rafting instructor, I, I, I missed out on all that. But hey, you know, uh, we uh, we uh, I, I only I only had people shooting at me a couple of times. So, you know, uh, maybe maybe. So that, that's the duty is not for everybody. It, it is a a a life of sacrifice because they tell you where to live they tell you when to shit they tell you where to you know everything you yeah. know so you, if you if you can tolerate that for 20 years then that's you know that's cool but yeah uh, as long as they don't tell you who to fuck i mean that's um that's probably yeah uh, yeah that's pretty close it's pretty close to well it's, apparently the chinese army does but uh from what i've heard but um yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so uh I, I put out my hot chicks and links uh, this morning, as I always do every week. Uh, and one of the comments I made was that um, the university or higher education or education in general feminizes men and masculinizes women, much like modern sport does. Mm -hmm. um, would you then say that the field of psychology in general is a very feminized field? Yeah, so when I entered... Uh my program, my PhD program in 2004, this was a, a like a third career for me, right? So I had already been on active duty for about seven years as an enlisted guy. I went back to graduate school. Um, the ratio was one to four. Um, so one one guy for every, excuse me, four females in that in that that first year class. Yeah. Um, and we lost a couple of guys because because they they just couldn't really function in that environment. Um, and, uh, and that ratio has not improved or gotten any have changed or anything like that. It's still cranking out female psychologists like, like crazy. Um, and so, yeah, it's a pretty weird uh, position to be in. Now, most of the, most of the guys who go into psychology, um, will go into fields like military psychology or forensic psychology, the, 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 the harder scientific stuff, 
Um, like I'm not a therapist. I don't really like therapy. It's not really my thing, but I like assessment and I like, uh, forensics and I like the, you know, the kinds of things where there's a, a big, they also pay more. Uh, yeah. Those, those subspecialties are, are much higher paying. Um, but they all, they also come with a lot higher risk. That's right. Like, so if I, if I testify in court, you know, or if, if I, let's say I do an evaluation on somebody who's, who's accused of a crime and there's some question about their sanity or their competence or whatever, um, I have the risk that I'm going to be called in front of a court to testify about what I wrote, right? And then that puts my license in jeopardy and I have, you know, like there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, but I also charge a truckload for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I, I, I get I get a return on my, my risk investment, but if I just did therapy, you know, where I was just talking to patients for an hour at a time about their problems or whatever, like that doesn't pay very well, but it's also a very uh, low risk, low, you know, no low reward kind of a situation. Right, right. But chips love that, you know, they like therapy, actually, they like talking about, you know, so. Yeah, this is actually a microcosm for the whole wage gap bullshit argument, isn't it? It's uh, it's a microcosm <laughs> example in that regard. So the, yeah. the chicks go for the touchy-feely, low risk, you know, but at the same time, they can prance around thinking they've got the status of someone important, whereas the, the guys tend to go for the, the high-risk, uh, high-reward sort of uh, stuff, which has always been the case. What was the testosterone level of the uh, average bloke who was in the uh, in the psychology course with you? <laughs> the the ones, the two or three that were, that were like me, um, and by like me, I mean, you know, athletic, go to the gym, shooting, hunting, stuff like that. They left within the first year. Um, okay. But uh, the rest the rest of them are pretty much like what you would, would expect. But I right. managed to hang on. I, I, uh, I, I wanted to, 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 to be world class at something. Um, and I was running out of time to do that. I was 33 years old when I started my PhD program. So I was like, all right, this is my last shot. I'm kind of good at this. Let me let me try, you know, so I, I stayed. OK, uh, you stuck it out. Um, how was the reaction to you on the course as, as someone with a, you know, a fair degree of testosterone from the general chick level there? Including the uh, including okay, the so, uh, professors, and more importantly, I would say, because I assume most of them were cheap. So, yeah, at the time, I uh, I was a standard uh, sort of right leaning libertarian, a little bit trad conny kind of a conservative. Um, I you, you have to remember, two thousand four was an election year for us. I was the only guy with a lifted four by four truck in the parking lot with a Bush Cheney sticker in the, on the, on the window in, in a sea, an absolute sea of Carrie Edwards stickers. Um, and, and I would walk down the hallways of, of my school and every single student poster, every single thing was transgender, this and gay, that all these, all these groups that you could join all these clubs and everything. There was no, there was no shooting club or running club or weightlifting club or <laughs> there were okay. no clubs like that in, in my school um and I, I had a an advisor who to his credit he was he was a gay guy and he was really really kind i really liked him um but he was my advisor everybody got assigned an advisor and he actually pulled me into his office one day and he said scott you know you are a minority of a particular type because you're an ideological minority and he actually wanted to know how how i felt about that he's like are you okay are you going to be able to like like you you're the you're a, a alone and an island unto yourself in this place. And I was like, you know, I really don't care. I, I, I get why you're asking that because everybody else is a special snowflake. 
Um, but I, it really doesn't bother me. I'm tracking that that is going to be my fate for the next five years. Um, and whatever. I mean, thanks for asking. It was really cool, but I, I really don't, you know, it's not, it just rolls off my back. And that was, that was the, the one of about five or six stories that I tell about, about the topic that you asked, you know, what was it like? Yeah. The and, ironic, uh, that, one, that one really stuck. So the ironic thing, of course, is that all the special snowflakes weren't special at all because they're all exactly the same. And you, you were probably, yeah, all, you were probably the, the only uniform. special snowflake yeah, they're, they're, there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it was pretty weird, but I, I lived. Okay. Uh, so Roland Tomasi has a background in psychology as well, correct? Mm-hmm. All I right. think, well... I think his undergrad degree is like a minor in psychology or social psychology or something like that. But I, I wouldn't want to say for sure because I don't really know. But I know he talks about it sometimes. OK. Uh, like I said at the start of this, uh, I kind of uh, you've had a bunch of blogs as we were talking about uh, in uh, in us just just chatting before I hit the record button. Um, and. But I just want to read out a comment that you wrote uh, last week on Deep Strength's blog, um, which is – I won't read out the whole thing. Um, and I'll, I'll just go from here. I have like 159 Twitter followers and about 50-some-odd YouTube watchers. I'm a nobody, so I can relate to that. Uh, I will not sell Charles <laughs> Atlas style how to pick up chicks crap. I just can't bring myself to do it. My interest is in men who have given up their natural masculine traits and been smothered by a lifetime of blue pill conditioning. Rollo's advice is right about so many important things, including you cannot negotiate desire, which throws the whole counselling, uh, as a segue, that throws the whole counselling you know, profession out the window. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. then goes on, and then Rollo goes on to try to teach men to attract women using a mon monkey dance, which in my opinion, opinion is a form of negotiating desire. I think this is key. This is where things went wrong. All the stuff about the uh, MMP is correct in that it is artificially skewed by factors in the environment, as in dating apps, messaging, etc. Wrenching back to rationality is going to take as long as it took to get here with a ton of collateral damage. Um, so I found that comment quite interesting. Um, and it's been something that I've been uh, struggling a little bit bit over the last 12 months I suppose particularly since I got divorced um, and I haven't really been writing or re podcasting that much about the whole dating thing and the whole pickup artist or even though I was never a pickup artist all that sort of stuff um, <laughs> but I've noticed I've really noticed this whole uh, especially the last 12 months on the Manosphere, and like a, a real trend from the big players towards really monetizing what they're doing. Um, and what you mm. said there, in it said, you said, I will not sell Charles Atlas style how to pick up chicks crap. I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, what's, can you just expound on this a little bit? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't want to put words into your mouth after what, what I've read out here. I'd, I'd rather just hear what, your because you you can write words but then behind it will be a lot more so did you want to expand yeah, yeah. Did, so did you did you ever get a chance to watch my video that was entitled meat cute or have you have you ever had a meat cute or something like that did you ever see that one i had a meat cute two days ago 
<laughs> well, so I, I did a video that was probably the closest thing to a viral video that I've ever done. Um, and, and it was basically, and, and I just did it real quickly. I was sitting there in my truck waiting for my daughter's piano lesson to be over. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to talk about this. So I did like a 15 minute video where I basically, I, I basically said that I, I conceptualize, uh, the ability or the, the, the likelihood of attracting uh, a woman to be a matter of, of really a, a, a psychological um, developmental trajectory problem, right? So basically, you, you, you are born and you're a boy and you go in, in America, the sort of normative uh, uh, trajectory would be you hang around in, in your elementary school and there's boys and girls playing together you have cootie games and all this other stuff. And then right around the time that you be, you get to be about 10, 11, 12 years old, you start passing notes in class and going behind the mm -hmm. buildings and holding hands and kissing and all this stuff. And then you then you move to the next phase, the next phase. And then you like you have a serious girlfriend in high school and you lose your virginity and then you go through a breakup and then you have another one, another one. And that's like normal. Right. And, and what and when that starts to happen, um, you if you're a, a guy with with even a, 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 a slight amount of confidence and, and ability to sort of know your own limits and all that stuff you will start having these situations where where the girls will send you signals right they call them ioi's in the in the red pill in the manosphere right so and and those signals are are sometimes pretty subtle but in my in my experience they've been pretty overt you know i i mean they 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 follow you around. They laugh at your jokes, even when they're not funny. They, I mean, they they go out of their way to make sure that they are going to be in a place where they know you're going to be. Um, and you know, they're just giggling, and you you catch them looking at you all the time. And I was like, this is like normal stuff, right? Like at least yeah. I think it is. Um, and then you don't, if you're a guy, you don't really have to do anything. Once you get that level of 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 interest, all you have to do is, you know, I, I like. At that point, she already is into you. And so unless you walk up to her and say, you know, I'm gay and I have, you know, I don't know, an arm coming out of my back that I, I hide. You, all, you have to do, all you have to do at that point is select, basically. Right, right. <laughs> so and I, I conceptualize that as as normal developmental trajectory. And if that doesn't happen by a certain age for you, the probability that it's going to happen to when you're 40 because you read something online is very, very low. Um, and I, and when I talk about that, I get labeled, branded black pill, black pill, black pill, um, because it's like, oh, well, you're just saying that it's all genetic and it's all biological. Um, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe it is. I, I just, it just feels to me like I want to, like, I want to, I want to as, as a psych, as a psychologist. Oh, go ahead. I want to make a comment. The world's oldest profession is the oldest profession for a reason. <laughs> right? Nice. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? So, right, right. I, uh, I, so what I, I guess what I'm trying to say, well, and, and then I, let me add another sort of wrinkle to this, right? So uh, things have changed quite a bit since uh, you and I were teenagers, right? Which is when all of this should have happened. You should have sort of developed this this skill set of being able to like know that a girl is into you or whatever. Um, but a number of things have happened. You know, we've had the, the the advent of the internet and and hookup culture and all this stuff. I actually got divorced 
1999 is when it started. My divorce was over in 2000. I joined the army right after that. I was already almost 30 at that point. Um, and I had spent the, basically the nineties married, right? So I had a, about an eight year relationship. We were, we were married for six of it. Um, and at that point, you know, if you look at, you know, again, I, I don't like to crap on Rolo because I think the guy's a genius. I think he's got some really great ideas. His sexual market value chart is, is brilliant, right? So I'm at 30 years old. So I'm climbing up the chart at that point. Um, my, my SMB is actually going up at that point and I'm joining the army with a bunch of 18, 19, 20 year old girls, um, who are, who are into the like hookup culture. Right. And I, I never had so much interest in my life than when I was a 30 something single guy from girls that were roughly a decade younger than me with absolutely no effort on my part. All I was just, I was just being a guy. You know, like I was just, it was, it was crazy. Right. So like, this is confirmation of a lot of Rolo's stuff. Rolo is right about a lot of these things. Um, but I find that most of it is, uh, is stuff that is naturally occurring. I don't know how much bang for your buck you can get out of reading about it and trying it and doing these, these cold approaches and all this stuff. I have never in my life, I have never been able to generate attraction in a woman who was lukewarm to me from the very start. Right. So I walk up to a girl that, that has, I've got no IOIs, no interest at all. And then all of a sudden say some magic. Yeah. Cool. Pick up line. Or whatever. It's never happened in my life. They just, they either are into you or they're not into you. And that they seem to have this sort of on or off switch. I mean, there's no, there's nothing in the middle, at least not in my experience. I don't, you know, I'm an N of one. I don't, I don't pretend to be, a, you know, the, the end all be all of how this works, but I just I I've never seen it. I've never heard of it, you know, where you, I, you take a girl who has zero interest in you and you create this this the slobbering, drooling can't can't get enough of you woman. I just I, I've never heard of it. No. So. And uh, and I, I agree entirely on that. Uh, there is there is the slow burn. And I think an example of that is where you've been working with a woman for, let's say, several months. And you've never been on each other's radar, but then something happens. You maybe it's the night out with the with the gang, you know, after work on a Friday night, and you end up, you know, up against a dump truck at 3 a.m. in the morning, whatever the case may be. And you know, I've been there. <laughs> uh, but that meant well. That so, but I, I've also written about that on on Deep Strength's blog and some other places. I find that that's way more likely to go in the other direction, man to woman, right? So I. I I've been I've been with coworkers, you know, students in school or whatever who I didn't I wasn't tracking at all. Absolutely not. You know, they were just part of the scenery. And then one day she looks at you and you go, wow, I never really noticed how cute her smile was. And then you're done. You're hooked. Right. Yeah. That but that I don't see that happening in the other direction. But I'm not a girl. Right? So I have no idea. So the background to their heads. The background to that one then has been that the girl's been attracted the whole time, but the male just hasn't picked up. Right. It only works if she's if she's been into you the whole time. That's that's correct. In fact, my first wife was like that. My first wife was after me for the better part of a decade before I turned to her and said, Okay, let, let me give this one a shot. And we started dating and we got married and all that stuff. But she she was absolutely crazy about me. Every single girlfriend i had in high school 
she would be there right at the end of the breakup to pick up the pieces and be like, okay, my turn, my turn. I mean, this was like really, really obvious stuff, you know? Um, And I was, to me, she was just my friend for uh, almost 10 years. She was just my friend. And then one day I was like, you know what? She's actually kind of cute. And so, um, and I'm single. So (laughs) that was, uh, that was how that went. Yeah, you sound like a true um, romantic. Um, So (laughs) I'll give you, I'll give you an example from my past uh, on this topic. And this is one that's always been curious for me, uh, and it's it's very rare for me to share an example of a, a hookup that I've done. I, I, I generally don't tend to do it, but I'll do this one because I think it'll serve a purpose. So I was whitewater rafting in Uganda. Uh, this is in the year 2000, something like that. Uh, I've got a lot of stories that start like that. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to take the British Airways cruise rafting on the 777, so there'd be 20, 20 odd in the crew. And they had a ten day, they had a ten day layover with a, a shuttle to Dar es Salaam on the, you know, from Kampala and Tebi there, uh, and so we'd basically take them rafting on the first day. And if you hooked up with a stewardess from BA, you'd be basically with her for a good week in the uh, Kampala Sheraton. And you know, these were good looking chicks. They were stewardesses back when stewardesses were hot, not like the raving uh, geriatric uh, monstrosities that we see walking down the aisles today. Um, anyway, this was a Spanish chick. And uh, we took them all rafting, and then it was the bus back from the river. Uh, and I I had to work on her pretty hard. I remember sitting up uh, – she was sitting up towards the front of the bus. I had to sit just behind her. It was a coaster, 20-seater coaster bus. Um, and I basically worked on her with the gift of the gab for a good 45 minutes on the bus journey back. While And by the way, everyone's drinking on the bus. We've got a huge cooler full of full of beer Everyone's just getting absolute shit face. It was mm. it was a complete party. But she was kind of prim and proper, the Spanish chick. Um, and eventually she agreed to go out with, with me that night. Um, well, I was sitting in a bar and with her, and we were sitting at the bar on bar stools, and so Spanish mu- music came on. And she ended up, she just jumped up and started flamenco strip dancing to me right at me in the bar in front of everyone there while the whole bar just stopped and watched. Uh, it was one yeah. of those very bizarre moments. Um, and of course it was back, it was back to the Sheraton and, you know, you know, playing hide the sausage for the rest of the night. And uh, she ended up coming back to visit me a couple of times over the next six months, which was nice of her. Um, but she said something, she said something interesting to me and she said that the only reason she decided to go out with me is in all the, 45 minute or hour long gab fest of me trying to work my way into her i mentioned something about meditation which i was into at the time because i was an idiot uh and she said to me when you mentioned meditation i thought you are okay and i thought so that's all right i'd fuck you and i, I, I this one's never huh. this one's never sat right with me you know what i mean so you've this was a case it, where it, i it strikes me as a as a bizarre story but uh, yeah, so this was like one where I, I've never heard a girl say something like that ever. Yeah, yeah. So this was one where I had to I had to work at her. I had to the 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 in, the meat cute wasn't there. Of course, I had a status symbol <laughs> as the as the white water rafting guide, and that that yeah. that counts for a huge amount uh, in that sort of context. Um, I saw some very unattractive men as whitewater rafting guides get laid on a continual basis purely because of 
the the context in which they were working and 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 you know what was happening there. Uh, yeah. But this was one where I actually it was it was a case where I had to find the secret words to unlock <laughs> unlock what she was about. And and so I I agree with what you're saying about meet cute. So I agree with it about there has to be a level of attractive attractiveness there. And I had one this week with a 25 year old girl that was so off the charts it was ridiculous on 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 how much she was running after me but this this particular one was one that always stuck in my craw and there have been others like that as well where uh if i had to if i had to sum up how i did with that that girl or woman she was probably in her late 20s i wore her down um and but once she decided that that's where she was going to go she was into it 100 percent and so I, yeah. I, my question would be, where would where would that fit then in 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 the whole meet cute discussion that we're talking about? Well, I, the only other piece of this that that sort of confounds me sometimes is this is the assortive uh, mating phenomenon, right? So they talk about this a lot in the manosphere, but they don't they don't get down to the mechanics of it. Um, and I'll, I, I think this is related to what you're talking about. So when I was in high school, I had a, a teacher. I don't know how we got onto the onto this topic. It was really it, it would be fascinating to see if I could go back in time and see it. But somehow he got onto the topic of how people match up with each other um, to somewhere within about one point on the one to ten scale right so he 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 went into this dissertation about how you know when you see a couple walking down the street and they look like they have good chemistry and it's obvious that they're together and all that stuff they are usually within one of each other right so you'll see a five with a four five or a six right or you'll see a seven with a six seven or eight and it looks correct it's got the right aesthetic everything <laughs> looks and if you see something that's wildly off from that it seems kind of weird right yeah. So my my guess is that in and that used to be true, right? So but now when we look at, for example, the the OKCupid data, I'm sure you're familiar with that, and Match.com has done some similar stuff, and Tinder has done some stuff like that. Um, that process has now been completely wrecked by by the by the by the internet, you know, by by these match sites and all this stuff. So the the sort of natural process of like people sort of a sorting out like that and everybody was happy then you know it's like i'm gonna i know it, it requires you to know your number pretty well like you yeah you have to you have to assess yourself correctly you, know, you say, have to I'm, I'm you have to know your number, place right? And, don't you right right um and i i suspect that in a in a situation like you were in where it's like you and some people in this really close little group of like white water rafters and like, like that was the the size of that market was whatever it was and that and it worked out in, in some way like that you know and and so i mean i i don't i hope you're not hearing me say something like she she looked around and she said ah that's the best i can do but it's almost kind of like that's what it sounds like but that's that's perfectly fine she yeah. actually had a, a long-term relationship at the time back in spain so she uh, was so she was. So I, I actually did wear her down because she wasn't. Yeah, I think that it it sorted out like that on a, in a, in a much more grinding out kind of a way. You know, yep. that's just probably what happened. But and I think I think when you grind it out like that, I think the key is you've got to be confident, but you've also got to be charming, which means not boring. You've got to you've got to yeah, yeah. you've got to keep them on the hook. 
they've got to they've got to see that yeah, this yeah. this would be worth their their time and worth their while. Um, and um, for me, the the gift of the gab has always been, as anyone who's read or listened to me, you know that that's that's what I've always that's that's always been the big plus in that regard. Uh, and in that regard, yeah. you can, as a guy, I think, improve yourself. I I, I agree with you with it. When you say that, look, if you've hit 40 and you didn't get laid in your teens and you haven't been laid since then, you've got fuck all chance now. But uh, in the rafting mm. game, there were okay. We were in, we were in a, we were basically rock stars without the fame. Okay. Uh, and to give you an idea of the context, the, there was a, a, a male stripping stripper routine in Australia called uh, I can't remember what they were called, Manpower or something like that, Manpower Australia. Um, but we took them rafting in Australia on the on the Tully River with about 160 other people one day, and there was a whole bunch of chicks on the trip. And at the lunch spot, the Manpower Australia strippers, who have women screaming at them on stage, were were strutting around in in their speedos, and the dishevelled, hungover, hairy uh, rafting guys were all sitting in a corner of the lunch spot trying to come to terms with the fact that they were on the river again. And the women mm-hmm. customers were completely ignoring the Manpower Australia guys. It was it was actually uh-huh. it was a really and these, these guys these Manpower Australia guys were top physical specimens. They were tens out of ten, obviously, because yeah. they, they were professional uh-huh. male strippers on a on a huge routine. And none of them got lucky on that trip, but a bunch of us scraggy rafting guides did. Uh-huh. So the, uh-huh. the interesting. The, it is interesting, isn't it? So the context is key. However, within the rafting guides, there were different levels of of guys who were successful with women. There were some rafting guides I knew who could never get laid, ever. And it was their personality yeah. that made the difference. Uh, and there were some rafting guides who could literally take four women home a night at the same time. And there was a, there was a guy I worked with... Uh, and I won't mention his name, but he knows who he is if he's listening to this. And he's, we had a conversation about this a few years ago, and, and, and he said to me basically that he picked the top three guides for pulling chicks that we work with, and we were in our 20s, and he studied what they did, and he asked them what they did. Because this is the 90s, right? So no internet, yeah. no manosphere, no forums where you can exchange ideas, okay? So he literally yeah. studied exactly what they did, and copied them, and he became one of them. He became the guy that yeah. could take multiple tricks back at night. And so and we, we talked about this a little bit be, before you started recording. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that's cool that somebody was able to do that, but I, I, like, I, I found in my life that it, the, the amount of success that, that is to be had with women is, is inversely related to how much you try to, to, to how, how hard you try or, or to make changes to yourself or whatever. And the more um, of just yourself you can be, the, the way better luck you have. Um, so every, every single time that even, even in my marriage, right. So I've become red pilled after I got married yeah. and I, I, I've, I've played around with some of these like game techniques on my wife total fail every single time and yeah. if i just go back to being the guy that that she was attracted to in the beginning everything's great so yeah. i i quit with the gaming stuff i just said fuck this I, I can't you know i liked my marriage when it's just us being ourselves you know so i don't know i don't know what that means i really 
it's 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 a struggle for me because I what I want is for men to meet girls that they like and enjoy their time with that's that's my ultimate goal but I just I just don't want to, uh, to sell a product that is is it's just gonna it, what it's the, the the product seems to me the, the what what I usually get in return is well you got to get you got to get these guys to internalize game it's, it's, it's internalized game is the is the the, the buzz phrase right yeah. and internalized game to me sounds like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow there is no end of a rainbow and there is no there is no pot of gold and so if you just keep telling guys uh well the reason it failed is because you didn't internalize it you didn't really make it yourself here's another seminar for you to go to you know try again then you can kind of see the conflict of interest getting uh popping up pretty quickly there you know like i i have a a vested interest in selling to you this idea that if you just get these principles right then you're going to have some success and i just i don't know it, it strikes me as odd but i've got i've got two responses to that when i worked in the new age industry and there were there were seminars that were weekend seminars were about 350 dollars australian back in the 90s um yeah. i would see and 80 percent of the customers were female of a certain age on their first divorce. Um, you would see them get on a literal emotional high, a spiritual high from the weekend. And I calculated that it would last them about nine or 10 weeks. And then they would need another seminar to get back to where they were before. Okay. The other, the other anecdote I'll say is when I taught English in Italy, uh, Professional language schools there don't teach people English. They make they make lifelong students out of people. Okay, because if you teach if you teach someone English, then they're not a customer anymore, right? They don't need your right. services. It's the same with psychology. If I heal you, then you won't keep coming back and paying me $190 an hour to get better. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that the the manosphere has morphed into this direction? Yeah, I mean I, I think that I think Dalrock bowed out at exactly the right time. I think you know his <laughs> I think he, he basically did a big giant mic drop. Just <laughs> here's everything <laughs> I have to say on this topic, you know, as as a as a Christian guy, then just like walked away. Yeah. Um and then after that that to me that right after that is when things started to get really interesting. Um, I, I, here's the part where I, I will be a little bit critical of those guys, the, the ones who are sort of the, 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 the curators of the current red pill, uh, doctrine. Yeah. Um, I think that they are now wishing that they had copyrighted the phrase or the, the term, the red pill, or that they had put some kind of, some kind of intellectual property limits on that term, um, because they are acting as if they do right now. And, and so, and, and then not, not, not sure where to, where I, why I think that or how to describe it, but I mean, it, it's like if, if you watch the YouTube, uh, uh, what are they, the live YouTube chats, right? Um, yeah. they spend a tremendous amount of time, uh, talking about all the guys who aren't really red pill. Oh, those guys are just grifters. Those guys are just trying to make money or whatever. And I'm like, and, and, and so they're, they're trying to like circle the wagons and, and say, we are the owners of the real red pill stuff. 
Um, and that's, uh, that's understandable. I, I don't, I, I don't blame them for that. I mean, that's how, if that's how you're making a living, you got, uh, you know, you got to protect your thing. But I mean, I really don't think it's that important. You know, I, I, I think that, it, I think that everything that needed to be said has been said. Um, and, uh, now you need to just do with it what you will, you know, in your, in your personal life. And I, I think that it's, it's, you're, you're just trying to squeeze a little bit more lemonade out of the lemon at this point. And, and right. So in other words, that, in that's, other words, that's over, kind of what I think over the last 10 years, the information is out there now across all, yeah. all the writers and the recorders in the, in the manosphere at different levels of popularity or quality that they are. Uh, if you're a, a guy, a young guy trying to work out chicks, all the information that you need is there in abundance. In fact, there's too much information now. Uh, yeah. And so they're literally trying to squeeze it out as much as they can. Yeah. And then you have the you have the phenomenon of, you know, I have a hammer and everything looks like a nail. Right. So uh, I, I am a clinical psychologist. And so I, I approach human behavior from from a whole number of different angles um and i, I don't do you know who sean smith is sean t smith um, oh, i have heard that name. he was yeah. he was kind of the the resident red pill psychologist um until he did a, a video called hypergamy and his video was actually critical of the concept of hypergamy not in a, not in a criticizing way but just like saying hey look i'm not sure if hypergamy explains all of the variants in male female dynamics like I, I think that it, it it may be in play sometimes but then there's other factors and he he is a, a therapist right so he, his psychology practices he does a lot of work with couples and stuff like that and he's like and he's saying hey look like i get what this hypergamy thing is but i just don't see it in every single one of my couples i see sometimes mm. i see this sometimes i see other dynamics going on and they pretty much just stopped linking to him and stopped you know because and, and, and he was looking at it from um, a social psychology perspective, he quoted a bunch of articles and he listed a bunch of references and stuff. And, and there's nobody more critical of the APA and their their attack on men and their attack on masculinity than Sean Smith. But he, he just didn't toe the precise red pill party line on hypergamy. And, and now he's kind of uh, on the outside. Um, and uh, I like the guy. I think he's he, I, I would like to collaborate with Sean on some things if we could ever, you know, this is together and, and do something cool. This is really interesting. So we started, we said at the beginning of this piece that the AMA, I mean, when you were, you know, uh, trying to talk to people within the AMA about, about the red pill, you weren't allowed to go there. And if you did, you know, you were yeah off the reservation. And now we're looking at the other end of the spectrum uh, within the red pill itself. If you question the terminology of the cult, then you're off the reservation as well. Yeah, it's a it's a bummer. It's it's a part of being somebody who is who is forever inquisitive about the natural world. You know, that that's what draws scientists to science and psychology, admittedly, is a soft science. We're not a really, really hard science. But when you get into neuropsychology um, and health psychology, it actually gets a little bit harder. <laughs> Just the science does tend to get pretty, pretty straightforward. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to. Um, but, uh, it, it's just, you know, I, I want to know, I, I don't want to be in an echo chamber of everybody just sort of saying the same things over and over and over again. Um, and that, that's what it's starting to feel like to me. Um, and so I, and Dalrock actually quoted me on one of his, one of the 
ending the last like five or six posts that he did, you know, people were talking about this very topic. And he said, I think you should do what Scott does or what Scott did. He took a bunch of stuff from the red pill, applied it to his personal life and then moved on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like the, the stuff that doesn't work for me, I just ignore. I just say, yeah, whatever. That's not really working out in my life. Um, and that's, that's all it is. It's just a, it's a, a set of tools that you can either use or not use. But, it, but if, if, if you if the tool doesn't work, you're accused of not using the tool right. You know, it's like, oh, you, you're not doing it right. And it's like, no, it just didn't work for me. It didn't work in my particular case, you know, or maybe my wife isn't like that. You know, do you think that, that I, I, or, I found or whatever? So. I found 10 years ago on the red pill that the tools we're talking about, we we use more as supplements to your own, uh, let's say, frame as a man. So what all, all yeah. the things all the interests that you have and that sort of thing, the language you can, you can speak, the instruments you can play, the, the skills that you have, the interests that you have, the hobbies, all of those things are things I find that women are drawn to because women don't have hobbies. They don't. Uh, they, 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 all, all women do is set up groups. Um, so that mm. they'll, you know, that's, that's, that, that's the difference between men and women fundamentally or one of the differences, I mm -hmm. think. Um, and so the about 10 or 15 years ago, the red pill skills as such were used as complements to the structure of being a man. But you had to have that foundation of being a man. Um, and I think I, I suppose a great example, if we look at a cliche, would be the old Dos Ecchi commercial with, you know, the most interesting man in the world. Remember that one? Yeah. 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 OK, yeah. but that. that yeah, I that, love that guy. Yeah, you love that guy because that's a man, and that's that that was a very successful ad campaign because it was it was it was it was centered on and, truth. And you know what? My dad was like that guy. My my dad was was a Serbian uh, refugee from communism, uh, and he had this real sort of like debonair Eastern European man of mystery. He had a lot of different hobbies and interests and stuff like that. And chicks loved my dad. Absolutely. Yeah. He was he was exactly like that guy from the most commercial. Yeah. It's pretty funny. So so your dad could have looked at the red pill skills and said, "Oh, okay. I'm 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 lacking a bit in this aspect, so I can select this this technique and this technique from red pill, and that will just complement the whole picture of what I have." But now, today, yeah, my dad would have looked at the red pill and he, he chicks like tall guys with money and who are interesting. So what's tell me something new? Yeah, he, I mean, he, he would have just been like, yeah, this is really not particularly, you know, brilliant. But one generation it only took one generation to to forget how men and women work. Yeah, but, yeah. And, and, and if you understand how men and women work, when you look at these conversations on uh uh, I'll, I'll pick on Sigma Frame here. I kind of I I go through it, but I'm I'm skim reading, and and a lot of the time my eyes are glazing over in the sense of you know this girl looked at me in this way, and it's just like really you know what are we sixteen? Yeah. Uh, you're still talking about it. You're still you're, talking you're about. Talking we're about still it? talking about this. Uh, are we for real? And this you know and Sigma's supposed to be married. You know I just don't understand what's going on. Yeah. And if so, if I if I say now today, it's I think men are trying to base their whole existence on red pill skills, and there's no underlying foundation there. Mm. There's there's no they haven't they haven't got that structure. Think about at the gym. Everyone says work out. Now look, working out's really important, and I'm a big proponent of powerlifting and strength training yeah, and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. 
But how many fucking guys do you see down this gym that have got nothing else? I mean, they are literally hollow men. And the chicks yeah. know it. You know? They let, these guys will attract chicks, but they attract they yeah, attract you know, you're the you're the first person that you're the first person that's articulated that in, in a way that kind of made sense to me. Like I, I go to the gym six days a week. I, I, I lift weights like crazy. Um and I and I I look right through most of those guys. They they might as well not be there. And a lot of them are bigger than me, have lower body fat, they have way better physiques, but they look like you could just blow them over with a stiff wind. Yeah, you know? they're hollow. And, and so they have they have there's no center to them and I I, I I I don't know what they're what they're chasing at the gym. I don't know what they're trying to get out of it, but but uh, I I don't know. It's just yeah, well, I agree. There's something really thought- weird about the gym. Yeah, they, they think they think that the gym is everything, but the gym is just a component, you know, to a yeah. to a well a well rounded interesting man. Like if you go back to the Dosecki guy, the most interesting man in the world. Well, he yeah. looks he looks pretty tight in his uh, in his sharply cut suits when he's sitting there in the lounge chair with all the girls around him. But if that's that's only yeah. one aspect, isn't it? Yeah. And it's those different. Yeah, aspects. well, they in the in the commercials they show him they show him climbing up the side of a cliff and saving a, a baby eagle and and then the, you know he's doing all these other things. <laughs> yep, that's my dad. He's exactly like that. It just, yeah, it cracks me up with all these all these weird hobbies and stuff that chicks like. Yeah, so I think that I think with red <laughs> with red red pill skills or red pill tools that guys of today are kind of there and they're mistaking this because this is what's being pushed. What's being pushed is this is what you need. All of these tricks, all of these lines, yeah, all yeah. of these attitudes, yeah. all of these monkey dances. But there's nothing behind it. It's just – and if if all you've got are the monkey dances, then you have to dance the whole time. Uh, and that must be pretty exhausting. Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the guys who get who get accused of, of being black billed will point that out. If I if I have to do this, the amount of, of psychological energy that I have to expend – to maintain this this internalized game or whatever um, will give me a friggin' heart attack by the time I'm 55. Yeah. You know, because I there's no nobody can can ever let your guard down. Like you, you I mean, you nah. basically have to, you know, and I, I could do it. And and like I said, I, you know, I pointed out that I've actually tried some of these tricks on my current wife, and chicks can sniff that out like a fuck. I mean, they they know it right away. Yeah, <laughs> just like like oh, this is not my husband. You know, you need to return to your normal baseline self. Um, yeah. And my normal baseline self, my wife absolutely loves, even yeah. with all my quirks and my weirdness and everything. Like it's just it's she has a crush on me, you know. Yeah. And so I, I don't I, I feel bad for guys who have never experienced that. I really do. And I wish that I could just wave a magic wand over all of them and go, hey, look, like, let me just solve all your your girl problems or whatever, you know, but I just, I, I, I can't, I don't have that kind of power. You so know, let's, all of my graduate school and everything else, I just, I can't do it. So. Well, let's get to that. Let's get to the meat of the conversation then. What advice would you have for those guys? For guys who are completely incel, guys that just have never like touched a real girl or guys who are like, I, I, I think those guys are probably outside of any kind of reasonable or rational uh, approach vector. Like, I don't, I don't think I could figure then out I'm a not, way in. Then I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about guys. Who I'm, really- talk- I, I'm interested in guys who, who managed to get a girl, 
yeah. and got her to marry them. Yeah. And now their marriage is, you know, just boring. You know. Yeah. They're in a world of they're in a world of shit. You know, they they yeah. they dread they dread coming home from work. Yeah. So uh, my my the the node of attachment, the one thing that that I can I can that I would like for those guys to do is is sort of free associate back, you know, just drift back in a sort of cognitive, uh, you know, out of body experience to, to the, to the you that attracted her in the first place. Um, and I bet you that that you is a guy who was a lot more aloof, a lot less concerned about what your wife thinks from one minute to the next. Um, you probably had a life outside of your girlfriend um, and and those are the the nodes of attachment that you're gonna that you're going to be able to find to sort of like scrape your way back to some kind of a, a, a romantic life with your with your wife. Um, unfortunately, you know, I do think that because of a sort of mating gone crazy and all these other things, I think that a lot of those guys are married to women who their husband was their second or third or fifteenth choice. Yeah. Um, because you know, they, they probably did have quite a lot of fun in their late teens and early 20s with guys who were just way hotter than the guy that they married. Um, that is a bummer. So, so I don't know, do you, did you ever read the blog Sunshine Mary? No. Do, do you remember her? Okay, so she was I don't, actually I don't, like I don't, I don't read stuff written by, written by women. I make, yeah. I, make a, I make a point <laughs> of it. That's fair, but basically she was the sort of counterpart to Dalrock for the better part of five or six years. She was the the, the female, you know, flip side of that. Um, okay. And she occasionally would talk about she she would give advice to women who were in those kinds of marriages. I am married to a guy who never really did it for me. Um, I I chose him because he seemed nice and he would be a good provider and all this sort of stuff, but he never ever was giving me the tingles and all this stuff. And she would say to those women, you are in trouble because if it was never there, you will probably never be able to generate it out of thin air. Yeah. Um, but if it was, even if it was a little bit there, you have something to grab onto. You have something that you could probably try to scrape back to. So there, there's, uh, there's a number of, of, of sort of uh, shades of this within the shade of, you know, marriages that are kind of not doing so well. If you, if you never had it, um, I don't know that you're going to get it. And at that point, you're focused on things like, you know, well, let's stay together because the kids need to have stable married parents and all that stuff. And that's a, a bummer. You know, like I, I would hate to be in that situation. You know, like me and my wife have been together now for 14 years and we still have pretty scorching chemistry. Even though we have a crazy busy life, I have four children and ballet and baseball and I'm building a house and I have a private practice. Like we don't have a whole lot of time to be like that with each other. But when we're alone, we are, you know, and so I don't I don't really worry that much about it. But, you know, but we do have our our, our dead times, you know, where you, you kind of look at each other like, man, I, I am not in love with you anymore. And you, you have to sort of work through that and get back to it. But the reason we can get back to it is because it existed in the first place. Yeah. My, I, I am, I am scared for guys, you know, and they're, they, they, they were never their wife's first choice. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a shitty place to be really. I don't know what to do about that. As in the, the at whole, least, I, the whole, as, at least I say, I don't know what to do about it. The whole alpha widow thing. 
basically. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that going on out in the world now. Yeah, so. and and probably going on more and more with the whole hookup culture online that we see today. Yeah, yep. Um, I remember it, I was in Italy and it was, I think, 2006. Before that, if you were on the internet, you were uh, a nerd and... <laughs> And you know you you just wouldn't you wouldn't publicly admit that let alone let alone you'd met someone on the internet um, and I actually yeah. did at that time and I flew her over from the US and we had a few weeks of you know doing the whole thing and and I didn't tell anyone where I met her because it was just too socially awkward to even broach and then in the summer of yeah. 2006 face I remember walking into the rafting base office and everyone was on the computer glued to the screens all the girls and they're all on Facebook and that. I realized that the, it was like a paradigm shift. The whole thing had changed. And so yeah, we're, now, we're now 14 years after that or 15 years after that, uh, so getting close to a generation. Yeah. And it's seriously affecting, I think, guys these days on, on the women that they're meeting because, like, in the 90s, you knew, you knew the girls who had a high notch count, right? <laughs> you knew it. <laughs> because yeah, yep. But not today. Yeah, I met my I met my wife online right at that point, at the tail end of 2006. Um, but I and I had been doing a little bit of online dating when I was in graduate school. But but I knew that um, that all of that, all those those digits in that virtual world and stuff, didn't mean anything until you actually met the girl. Um, and when when Michael, that's my wife's name, when, when we met in person after talking on the phone two or three times. She, I remember I came out of my apartment building to meet her downstairs because my we had like a, a buzz in door that was broken or something. So I had to, I'd actually come down there and she she called me and she said, I'm, you know, I'm parked across the street. So I, I came down the stairs. She got out of her car. And by the time in the amount of time that it took us to cr- close the distance from her side of the street to mine, I could already tell this was going to work. And so could she. I mean, it was like sparks flying, you know, just yeah. like a meet cute. Right, yeah. right. So, so well, uh, otherwise, I would have nexted. It. I would have just, I would, I, yeah, I, I just would have been like, nope. But I mean, if you if you've never had that experience, I, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I really, I am truly sorry for <laughs> for guys who just that have never been through that. You know, because yeah. it's it's really cool. It's it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a it's a it's a it's quite a rush but, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When when that does happen. Um. This has been a very good conversation. I think. I think that the, the hopefully listeners have got a lot out of it. Um, I just want to touch on one more thing, and that's at the very start we spoke about the article that I wrote this week on you know foreigners go home, um, and the fact that you've got a Serbian background. Uh, I've been thinking about this over the last few days, uh, based on a lot of the comments that have been left and the emails that I've got. Some of them are quite abusive, more, much more abusive than normal. Uh, which is pretty amazing because, you know, I get death threats. Um, But um, I view the American – I view the USA as an empire, not as a nation. Mm. Oh, yeah. The United States is is not a nation by any of the classic definitions of the term nation. In order for a nation to exist, it must have some dimensions of homogeneity, um, which is really just a fancy way of saying things that we have in common. And 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 for the last uh, about a hundred years or so in America, we've had this this idea that we are a multi-ethnic uh, sort of uh, uh, 
civic nationalist nation, right? Um, which is which is which is it's really a bizarre concept when you think about it, it because at most most nations uh, for many hundreds of years were were ethnic states, right? So you have France is where French people live and Australia and, and all these places, but America has decided to, to sort of jettison that that concept at some point and started teaching it. In well, I think I think all this other stuff. Um, I think. And, I think oh, that point that point was the US Civil War. I think I think okay. because the South the South basically said, look, we, we don't agree with what you're doing and so we, we, we just want to go our, our own way and do our own thing. Interestingly enough, I read a, a a piece this week that basically pointed out that Lincoln didn't make a point of slavery until two years into the Civil War. Uh and he did that to make sure that internationals like England and France weren't going to support the South, because how could you support someone that was pro-slavery? It was quite a clever trick. So I think I think that's when it actually, if you want to pinpoint it down, where U.S. stopped being a nation, it was it was 1868. Well, and, and wherever it started, the only way that it, the the abstraction of a civic nation could ever ever work is if you had extremely heavy-handed top-down nationalism uh, that that forced everybody to participate in 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 whatever whatever dimensions you want your your nation to be homogenous on and if and if you decide that race and ethnicity is not one of them then you're going to have to be really really heavy-handed about things about abstractions like freedom and private property and guns and all sort of crap like those are the things that you know make America America Right now, my problem is my mother was was old stock American, right? So my my mom's names go all the way back to the mid 1700s, right? So it's all Brownlow and Matheson and and Benton and Cooper. All these names go, and I can trace them back on Ancestry.com and through all the records and all that stuff. And then you've got my dad who escaped from a communist country, meets my mom in Los Angeles, um, and then out comes me, right? And so my dad was was very, very keen on on trying as hard as he could to be an American. So, so me and my brothers were raised to to play baseball and eat apple pie and love V8 engines and rock and roll and all this other stuff instead of soccer and Gibanitsa and all this. Other stuff. So, my dad yeah. was very, very specific about that, right? So, so it, I don't think it really gets any more American than me um, from that perspective. However. I will admit that in these last few years, as I've watched America deteriorate away from all those things, because I thought those were the things that made me an American. I thought I love apple pie. I love baseball. I love the sound of a Chevy V8 engine. I love rock and roll. I love, you know, tall blonde chicks, you know, whatever, whatever the things are that supposedly make America, America. Um, and now all of a sudden I'm told, no, all of that stuff is racist and, you know, all this other stuff. And so I'm like, well, what am I? So then I started being interested in Serbia again. That happened in the last five years of my life. All it's ironic. It's ironic. When they, when, they, when the left, when the prog left made it about race so hard and about tribes so hard, what they did was they started forcing everyone back to their tribes. Yeah. They, I, have been, I have been forced into this corner. And I, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. But I, I, I have four little white children. Um, who are being told by the culture that they should be absolutely ashamed of everything about themselves. And so I, I am now teaching them about Serbia and Tesla and Serbian Orthodox. We're Serbs. We're Serbian Orthodox. We, we converted a few years ago. Um, so I'm actually 
I'm actually running back to my ethnicity and hiding in my ethnic corner. Um, and my wife is Irish. And so, and so my, my mom's side of the family is Scott Irish. So we have this whole like multi-ethnic thing that we do in our house where we celebrate Serbian, Irish, Scottish, and uh, uh, Irish Catholic stuff. And we do this, this kind of thing in our house. Um, but, uh, there's no place for it in America. Like we're just, we're just weirdos. Right. So yeah. I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe that. I'm not moving back to Serbia. I, I get your point, but I've, I've never even been there. <laughs> so, I well, I'm I think not, that's, I, I, and I, I think really that's, the... I think my point is, is that what I was writing about Australia is not directly translatable to America because America is an empire, but Australia was a nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so, and so, we're talking about two different contexts. The the only the only connecting factor is the Anglo-Saxon English background there. I I am reading a book at the moment, a quite a detailed book on the history of the Holy Roman Empire, and the mm. the the similarities uh, between that and uh, and how America is going are quite stark in in certain aspects. And I'm probably going to write some pieces about that in the future. But I see. Well, same with same with Yugoslavia. Well, like, I was going to uh, say, if you, I... if you take Yugoslavia, uh, Yugoslavia was created by Woodrow Wilson by by drawing a line around a whole bunch of ethnicities that hate each other, and basically yeah. just saying, oh, we're just we're just going to call this, you know, all these dirty Slavs, these Croatians and Serbs, and we'll just call that a country, right? And the only the only way that you could make that work was with Tito in power, right? An absolute despotic ruler. And as soon as he died, the whole thing fell apart. That's what's happening to America. The only yeah. way you could make America work is with heavy, heavy, you know, upper top, top down kind of civic nationalist stuff. And and nobody wants to do that anymore. Nobody cares about no. that in America. No, nobody I, I wants see. to be black or whatever, you know. So that's that. I, I was raised to believe that none of that mattered. Race was, you know, colorblind and all this stuff. And now I have to care. I yeah. have to care. Yeah. You know, for my own I survival. See. But. I see America being balkanized in, by 2025. That's what I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the fact that you've moved from uh, L.A. up to Montana, I think, is what I would define in that context as a smart choice. Yeah. I, my, I, I see this as a gigantic game of musical chairs. Um, and if you you when the music stops, you better be where you want to be. Um, <laughs> and the music stops is. I'm really, I'm really, really gratified that you said that because that's the entire point of the article that I wrote this week. That's the entire point. You need to be. I mean, everyone, everyone looks at at history books or or you know, uh, history documentaries like the World at War of uh, of 1930s Germany, and it's 1937, and you're a Jew living in Germany, and everyone looks at that and goes, "Ah, oh, you bloody idiot! You know why'd you stay there?" They don't get that we're at the same point now. We're at the same point now. And if you don't wake up and have a good look at what's going on, and the the reason that people have got so angry with me, look, if I wasn't saying stuff that's accurate and true, they wouldn't be getting angry, they'd be laughing. The fact that they're getting angry means that they're upset. The fact that they're upset means that, it's it's bombs are over the target. It's hitting close to home. And here's the thing: I don't want it to be the way it is. But oh I, man, 
me, you and I are in the same boat on that. I don't hate anybody. I don't want anybody to go to a gas chamber or a gulag. Nah. I don't give a shit about any of that. I, nah. I, I love everybody. Everybody I meet, I, I enjoy. Right. So I, <laughs> you can't put the whole racism thing on me or any of that stuff. I'm just looking at the world as it is. I, and I, I don't I don't have to like it, you know, but this. This is the way it exists, you know. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Don't, it's crazy. Don't hate, don't hate me for pointing out the bleeding fucking obvious, you know. Uh, <laughs> I will, I will, I will. However, clarify a little bit. There is, I do hate the people who set this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, they keep benefiting from it in the short term, but the, you know they're going to be the ones with their backs up against the wall. Well. They, well, that would be if there was any natural justice in this world, and, and there's, you know, there's not. <laughs> They'll have to pay for it in the next. But uh, my, you know, my father was my father was imprisoned three times in Yugoslavia for for believing the wrong things and saying the wrong things, and he actually joined the Communist Party so that he could move up into middle management. Um, and then in 1958, the World's Fair came to Belgium. And he was sent to the World's Fair to supervise his, his underlings because in communism, everybody's watching everybody else yeah. and telling on each other and all this other stuff. And so they said, you're going to go to the World's Fair with these three guys and you're going to make sure that they don't say bad things or anything like that. And the whole time he was working the underground machinations of how to get out. Right. So then he got in, he got in touch with this Belgian underground group and they came to his hotel in the middle of the night and they said, this is it, buddy, you're out. So he, with whatever he had on his back, he ended up in France, and then he came to America, and and uh, that was his whole like cloak and dagger communist escapee story, and and they almost sent him back. It was in the fifties, so they 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 almost deported my dad back to Yugoslavia, where he would have been killed, you yeah. know, for being a defector and all this other stuff, and it was pretty scary. This was all before I was born, right? So yeah. I'm I'm just straight up American kid from L.A., but I mean that it's a pretty crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and I feel, so I, get I, feel I get how I get how people are. People are pretty fucked up, man. They're they're evil. So yeah, and look, man. I mean, some of the guys I went to high school with, some of my closest friends to this day, you know, were like first generation Italian immigrants in Australia, and they are the best guys, and I love them to death, you know. And it and it kills me to write the articles that I'm writing, but I can't ignore the reality. And if they'd kept immigration to a certain level, we wouldn't be having this discussion. But they they went so far over the top on purpose that now now it's out of everyone's control. Uh, and and, yeah. and I'm just my I'm dad just, came my my dad came to the United States before the 1965 changes to our immigration. He, my dad came in under a very very tight quota on eastern europeans we had we had almost no eastern europeans in america when my dad came um and and he like i said he had to stand in front of a judge when he was accused of being a communist and declare his allegiance to the united states he had to say look i'm i really really want to be here i want to be an american and all this stuff could you imagine if every citizen had to go through that where you where you were required to yeah. <laughs> to beg for your life so that you well, could stay that's what my dad went well but that's so, when they yeah. took they took citizenship seriously yeah, yeah. And we did we did the yeah, same well. thing in Australia up until about the same point. It's interesting uh, strategically that it, it all these different places in the world, you know, it all fell to pieces at exactly the same time, but that's another story. Uh, Scott, uh, yeah. I said to you that this was going to be 45 minutes max. We've gone half an hour over that, uh, but okay. it's been 
It's been a sensational conversation. Uh, I'm just going to stop the recording. I'm not going to stop the stop stop the Skype uh, call. So don't run away. Uh, thank okay. you so much. Thank you so much for being uh, a guest on the Pushing Rubber podcast. I really appreciate it. Did you want to? Did you want to? I'm going to uh, get you to send me a whole bunch of links that I can include in the uh, in the post for this. But did you want to quickly spruik anything while I've got you now in the last part? Sure. So I'm my primary thing that I do is Treasure State Psychological Services. You can search for that. It's pretty easy. Um, that's me. Those are real pictures of me. That's my private practice. That's what I do. Um, and I can do telepsych stuff. So if you're uh, if you're interested in doing coaching over VTC or something like that, I can. I'm set up to do that as well. So I, I don't. Uh, I don't really make a whole lot of money doing that kind of like red pill coaching stuff. But I. I am. I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't. I don't get a lot of business doing that. Most of my stuff is is just forensic psychology, but uh, but I am I am available for for consultation if you if you have some relationship issues. So, or how or how to get the girls, basically. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll I'll tell you all the all the tricks that you need to do to get <laughs> chicks. Awesome, awesome, uh, guys. If you like this uh, podcast, you know, hit the follow button. You can follow my blog, Pushing Rubber Downhill. You can buy my books. You know what they are. A big shout-out to Aaron Clary, who uh, sponsors this blog as well. Uh, check him out at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. He's a good guy, uh, and he's got lots of books, podcasts, and videos out on mostly economic matters and how and how the world is falling apart, and you need to check out of it. Uh, this has been the 149th episode of the Pushing Rubber podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Ciao.